0: I think w- what I struggle with seeing in, in the current school system is that we're grooming kids to be perfectionists and basically like nowhere in the in nature or in the universe is there's anything that is like perfect.
1: Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the PASS Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink and redesign our educational system. Welcome to Learning Unboxed. This is your host, Annalise Corbin, and I am, as always, super excited about our conversation and my guest today. Uh, Joining us is Tom Burden, who is the founder um, of BritMat, and we're going to get into a whole host of pieces. Look at him go, holding that up. Sort of about you know, sort of how he came to that, but um, just for a bit of context for our listeners, um, especially for our school folks that are out there, uh, Learning Unbox is all about case studies and positive disruptions. And what I love about Tom and Tom's story is the way that he has utilized his experience through Grip, Matt, and the development and design of that, and his journey along the way, which we will get into, uh, to have an impact on what happens. With young kiddos, because Tom has been a frequent visitor uh, to the Pass Foundation in the Innovation Lab, and he has um, has stuck his toe in the water with us as it relates to kids and kids learning to be absolutely innovative and creative. So, Tom, welcome to Learning Unboxed.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me. Being at the Pass Foundation is always a always a huge joy. The kids are always super excited, and um, it's always fun to like you know share my story with them and see how they're. How their brains, their like fresh minds, are are adapting to all the new new and exciting, you know, curriculum that you're bringing to them.
1: Yeah, and the kids are always very excited for you to come because you always do the really cool tricks with the grip mat, and they're <laughs> wowed yeah, by they're that. So, so before <laughs> before yeah. we get into the cool wow stuff, you know, for our listeners, how about if you give us the sort of fifty thousand foot view of sort of the the origin or the why. Of yeah. Grip Mat. And then we'll get into what the thing is and then how you utilize it. Because I think that the why is the piece that inspires so many people.
0: I was an F-16 mechanic in the Air Force. I was tired of my tools sliding off the aircraft. At the time, I was going to college for mechanical engineering. And I wanted to solve this issue. This was like a really painful part of, of the process of, of my job. So I... Uh, Made a decision. I'm going to solve it no matter what. And I had all these crazy ideas of like having a magnetic vest and like sticking the tools (laughs) to me, and like having strings to like hold on to the um, the tools and like have them be stretchy so you can you know you reach what you're working. And uh, later, I was sitting in my mom's car and I noticed she had the non-slip mat on her dashboard to keep her cell phone in place when driving. And And at the time, I'd never seen any material like that. And I was like, I was like, wow, we can make these larger for for tools. And I was like, Mom, where did you get this? And she, <laughs> my mom, she's an extreme couponer, so she goes to a bunch of stores all over, and you know, she's getting things for free or super cheap all the time. So she's like, uh, I don't know, she gave me a list of like five stores, and I was like, Mom, I, I like, this, <laughs> I, I, this is going to take a lot of time trying to find this, and I. Um, Ended up finding it at CVS. Just continued with the process and started prototyping in my basement for three years, and then finally came up with the grip mat. So this is our medium size. It's flexible. Uh, it's non-slip, and uh, yeah, it's perfect perfect size for tools. And uh, yeah, I guess the why of why I did it was, you know, I was I guess what, what I explained to people is like. When they're trying to find like their purpose or what they want to do is, you know, find something that's really personal to you and find something that's like very um, like what's your unique ability. So my unique ability is finding efficiencies with with physical products. So you know something that's very personal to me is I was an F T mechanic. This was like what I do every single day, and um, you know finding something that you're really passionate about and to me like a like a hack of finding something that you're really passionate about. Sometimes that's hard to do. Find something that you really do not like, something that you, <laughs> that you hate. So I hate seeing inefficient processes in the military. So I was like, my unique ability is creating physical products. I want to create a physical product to to um, you know combat this issue of this inefficient system in the military. So yeah, that's kind of like the big picture of like what kept me going, wanting to to keep pursuing it. I mean, it was like three years and working in a basement, which was a long time. I call it, it
1: the dark. It, it <laughs> is it. a long time, but in the greater scheme of things, not really. If you think right. about sort of the, the time span of innovation of most innovations. And one of the things that I, I love um, about what you were just saying is that you know you tapped into your talent. You have this talent around recognizing dysfunction in systems um, and wanting to be able to sort of right that wrong, I guess, if you will, the disconnect of that systems approach. But but your superpower was that you could literally work at and come up with a solution. And we we tell our teachers, we tell schools, we tell the community folks this all the time. Tap into the thing that you're passionate about. And if you can use that passion for the greater good, whether it be for yourself, for your students, for your communities, for consumers, for um, aviation mechanics, um, you you can, in fact, change the world for for the better. But oftentimes, I think people get so stuck in the box they feel like is theirs, whether they own it or they put themselves there or they were placed there. Oftentimes, folks have a really, really hard time of stepping out of what they perceive they're supposed to be doing to be able to think creatively. You didn't have that problem at all.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) there was a phase that it was kind of like, I did get some backlash from you know, there was some people who said, you know, you can't have anything on the, sit on, on the jet. You can't, you know, you shouldn't make these new products. And I just like, I just kept asking for certain things until I was given an answer. Or I just kept asking, you know, if someone said, no, this can't be done, then I would figure out if that is like their responsibility to to make that decision. Like I, I remember I was trying to make the grip mats form-fitted to the jet so I would get a lot of measurements on the aircraft. The thing is, I, I needed to ask permission for to, to get measurements. So what happened was the first day I went there, I was wearing normal clothes. I was in my uniform, but it was on a Tuesday. And every Tuesday, they w- it was like dress down day where you could just mm-hmm. wear your civilian clothes. And I asked and they're like, yeah, sure. So then the next day I'm still in my civilian clothes and um everyone else is in their uniform. And I thought I was gonna get tackled.
1: <laughs> I was <laughs> taking
0: measurements on the jet. And they were like, What are you doing? I was like, yo, I got what are I you gotta, doing
1: and who are you?
0: <laughs> I was like, I got permission yesterday, like here's my ID. Like I'm I'm part of the, you know, weapons shop. Like, like this is my supervisor, and and <laughs> and then like they just took my ID and took a couple of things and like left and then they came back and was just like, yeah, you're good. <laughs> I was like, thank God, Jesus. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there was there's definitely like a lot of, uh, a lot of like resistance, you know, I guess, I, what was interesting, I just, with my persistence, it just kind of got people to the point where um, they were just like, all right, like, like, we're just going to just let them try it.
1: <laughs> we're we're going to let this guy with this crazy idea run with this <laughs> and we're going to see what happens. You know, and it's it's interesting because over the years, as we've been thinking about how best to, to teach not just innovation, but the design and development components of innovation, it's been one of those pieces that's been really, really difficult because people right. are generally afraid to embrace that creative side or that innovative side and part of it is it's not i think from a lack of confidence in, hey i can be innovative but there's this great fear of putting something that you're that is so much of you out into the world so did you at any point have that same type of internal battle or for you was it just like I've got to solve this problem so I'm just going to pound until I get it done? But what was that for you?
0: Yeah, there was definitely like an issue of understanding regulations or materials that could be on the jet. What th- there is a lot of Especially with the military, you can wrap yourself up with so much analysis paralysis of like what can and can't be done that it could just you could just be sitting still forever. So it's so like, what did
1: you say? You said analysis paralysis.
0: Yeah. So like just constantly trying to figure everything out. Um, I I think honestly, one of my strongest points of what I do is that I was a C average student in high school and in college. So like but the concept of perfectionism is is like I don't really have that, and also like I think w- what I struggle with seeing in, in the current school system is that we're grooming kids to be perfectionists, and basically like nowhere in the in nature or in the universe is mm-hmm. there's anything that is like perfect, but in the school system, you can get perfect you can mm-hmm. get an A and then what i, I think cuz i i had an intern who he was like a 3.9 gpa and i like just to to tease him a little bit in the interview i was like why wasn't it 4.0 now
1: mm-hmm.
0: i was trying to to as as like a 2.9er that was that's like a joke <laughs> but a 3.9er he was like honestly it bothers me and i wish it you know i should have done whatever i could to get a 4.0 and i realized he was becoming a a perfectionist and it was slowing a lot of our processes down because because w- what happens is like i call it the c plus theory of of like a lot of times especially in the startup world you could get what i consider a c plus in like 2 hours but to get that a plus might take 2 weeks to a month so you mm-hmm. in reality you lost a month so when it comes to the startup world it's not about do you pick option a or option b it's like it's like, how much time did you take to pick the op, whatever option? Because, like, just pick option A, test it out. If it fails, fine, we're doing option B. But, like, that's not how we're, the school system, like, trains mm-hmm. kids. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really like, stop, slow down, you know, get pick the right decision. It doesn't matter how much time that you take. Um, as long as, unless if there's like a time to test. But what happened was, I feel like I, like, in this one day we were at a trade show, and and he goes, "What's the perfect trade show?" And I was like, "I've never thought about that. Um, whenever I think of a trade show, is like, what's the best I possibly can do in that trade show?" And I w- I was like, "Well, what what do you think is a perfect trade show?" And he goes, "We sell out of all of our product," and I go, "Okay, so we sell it by the end of the week." Yeah, so by the end of the week. Uh, okay, what would happen if we sold out everything by the first day? Would that be a more perfect trade show? He's like, Yeah, I guess that would be better, right? And I said, if if we sell out everything on the first day, that means we we misestimated our sales and our inventory, and that would be a huge failure. <laughs> and he was just like, Oh my gosh, like like there's no like he he couldn't. I couldn't get, tell him what his A-plus was. Mm-hmm.
1: And he was desperate for you to help him find it, right? So that, yeah. that was part of his his pushback. And that's an, actually a really intriguing analogy. And I, I appreciate very much you saying that because it's one of the things that I hear frequently when we're talking with schools or communities about why, why the traditional sort of trajectory of education is is not the one we should be using why it's not currently relevant in its in its form today and because we we do get a lot of pushback. I talk frequently about the fact that imagine if we sort of took and we meshed the ideologies that come out of startup and r and d and full on embedded industry internship or apprenticeship, and what would happen if you took all of the best of those elements and you 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 mix them all together and said, "This is what school should be right which is a lot of the work that we do at the innovation lab, but it's the the pushback I get all the time is that um, we forget a to let Kiddos fail. Back to your point, um, there's so much learning that happens in that moment, and there's as much, if not more, in that modification of figuring out what didn't work and how can we, how do we swap that again? So it's one of the things that I do truly appreciate um, about about your story and the journey. What what happened, Tom? Along the way that landed you um, at Shark Tank, it's a piece of your story everybody wants to talk about. So we might as well just put that out yeah. there. But but at some yeah. point you go from your mom's basement to a national stage.
0: Yeah, yeah. So it was actually my basement, but
1: <laughs> oh, was it wasn't mom's basement. basement. <laughs> okay, clarifying. Uh, good, good to know. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mom's barn, dad's are in my basement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. The very first trade show was at Oshkosh, Wisconsin. It's the world's biggest air show and went there with, with 600 grip mats. And that was the first time I was ever going to sell it. And, um, at this point, so this was like 2016, the summer of 2016. And, um, I, this is about three, three and a half to four years in. Which was like crazy because so one thing one thing I, I say for people who have a startup or something new, especially that person who's like I call the the garage founder, or the basement founder, someone who like doesn't have any resources, doesn't have any like you know network or money. What you think will happen on day one most likely will happen on year three. <laughs> so like because you're like oh I got this cool product like everyone should buy it right and then like. It's going to take about three years, to like, to get to that spot that you think that you you'll be at right away, um, and that's what happened. Like three years later, like I'm at a trade show and it really starts to sell. So the the, the crazy part is I so I had 600 grit mats. I was um, I loaded up this truck and trailer, and I had I had so many grit mats in there, like I couldn't see out the passenger window. So I drove from like Kalamazoo. I drove from like Cal, So I went from Toledo, drove up to Kalamazoo, Michigan to pick them up, and then drove from Kalamazoo, Michigan around the lake over to um, um, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So it's like a at least a six-hour drive, and um, I get there and I, I forgot to bring a dolly to like help unload everything, and it's just me. So I see this guy who's who's across from my booth and he has a dolly. And I said, if I help you unload your truck, can I borrow your dolly? He goes, yeah, sure. So I, I'm unloading my grip mats and he comes over to to help me and he goes, he's like, what is this? So I, I pull one out and show them to him. He's like, wow, I've never seen anything like this. And I go, yeah, it's brand new. I'm launching you know, at this show. And he goes, wow. I, he's like, I, I'm in the... Normally in the automotive industry, this is something that we could use in on cars. And uh, he was at the show selling this like bug wax. It was like Rain-X for bugs. So like mm-hmm. when you hit a bunch of bugs with your plane, it they'll wipe off. So the entire show. So first day I sold thirteen. And <laughs> I remember before the show happened, I'm like, yo, I'm like, I've been getting a ton of feedback from mechanics. Like these are going off the shelves. Um, this is going to be great. I was like, you know, I could probably like drive at night over to Kalamazoo, Michigan, pick up more grip mass and come back. But after the first day I was like, man, thir- I sold 13. I-, I really hope I can just like see out my passenger window by the time we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, I remember at the time I called this girl, this girl I was dating. She-, she lives out in Vegas now, but she, I was like, I don't think this is going to work. Like this is, <laughs> this is, like I remember. I remember telling someone, like, yeah, it's not going to be as big as I thought it would be. So one thing I I'll say a lot is no opportunity will be lost due to my emotion, which means like because I feel that it's not work doesn't mean that I'm not going to try. It. I'm not. I'm not going to try harder, just as hard. So I st- like. Every single, I would go in early. I would stay in late. I would go. I was actually crashing after parties to like bringing up this little tripod to hold a grip mat and like selling it at the after parties. And uh, like I'm going to after parties where I don't know who's throwing the party. I don't know the people who are at the party, and I'm just like trying to sell it. So um, (laughs) super awkward when you're like (laughs) crashing a party and you're trying to sell stuff (laughs) Uh, um, and. Yeah, I sales started to snowball and people would be like, Hey, I saw someone post this on Twitter. I saw this, you know, at someone was trying to sell it at an after party I was at. <laughs> I was like, That was me. That was me. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I remember day. So the second last day, you know, vendors would come by and they'd be like, you know, looks like you're doing well, but last day, you know, a lot of vendors won't be here, they'll come in late because we, we, you probably won't sell anything because it's the slowest day." And they just kept telling me like, are gonna have low sales that day. And I remember I was on the way there. I was like screaming in the car, I will sell 100 grit mats, I will sell 100 grit mats. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the day, I sold 101. And then after, right after I got done figuring out how many I sold... Um, the guy that I borrowed the dolly from, that said he could, it could be used in automotive. He came across the aisle and he said, um, he was like, "Hey, I, w- I was, I see you have some extra grip mats. I'd like to be a distributor. Can I buy everything that you have left?" Hmm. And because what was going to happen was, I was going to have to load everything back up on the tra- trailer and then drive it all the way back to Kalamazoo, Michigan, to drop them off and down to Toledo, and and I was like. Let's do it. And um, <laughs> I used his dolly to load my grip mounts and his trailer. <laughs> and it was like, and he lived like an hour south from there, which was like on my way back. I remember that day he gave me a check for $10,240. <laughs> and I, I remember I thought it was fake. <laughs> and I, I, was, I was like, I, I think the bank was closed because it was at the end of the day. And I, I had an old roommate in Milwaukee and uh, I, I stayed there and I was like talking to them about what do I do with the check? Do I just deposit? I was like going to try to cash it so I could get the money out if it was like fake. <laughs> um, and then I just I deposited it and I was like, yeah, deposit the check. And I was like, wow, like who... Like who has this kind of money just to like throw out a product that you don't even know is gonna work? And uh yeah, it's just from like the last day of like really selling a lot and having high traffic, he saw that and he was like, I know I could sell this. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, so just having that kind of hustle, like really snowballed into like getting more sales. Like I, I would say out of trade shows, I would say the gritmat team is probably the most effective like dollar per dollar like dollar per dollar that you spend on on the on a trade show. because uh, I've watched I made all the like wrong mistakes of of mm-hmm. of paying there's there's a lot of rules of having a trade show and like there it's kind of surrounded by a union that you have to pay the union a ton of to anything up. So um if for example if you're If you bring anything in that you cannot carry or it has more than two wheels, you have to pay a union worker Mm -hmm. to bring it in. So, usually Mm -hmm. the union workers are getting paid like $60 to $80 an hour at a minimum of like four hours. And then you have to have a minimum of two people. So, just to like bring something in, you know, do the math, that's a ton of money. So, everything's on two wheels. We know how to like, (laughs) you know, can't have tools to like put your booth together. So, we have with wing nuts and and, hand assembled. So after like just again and again and again, Mm -hmm. like hustling really hard with the trade shows, got us, you know, more exposure, got us, um, you know, some sales. And then there'll be what I call Shark Tank scouts, people who get people signed up. Um, One called me and was like, Hey, we want you to be, or they, they said you'd be a good show. You should sign up online. So the thing is the scouts, to my analogy, they don't really give you like a heads up or like mm-hmm. they don't give you a, a leg up. You just sign up like anyone else. So what happened was after all the trade shows, we we did a Kickstarter to launch three new sizes. And that's how Shark Tank found me was, okay. was through Kickstarter. So what happened was the day that you could sign up, they reached out to me and I was talking to her on the phone and she goes, she goes, if you give me a She goes, what you need to do is create a video explaining your story and your product and then also do a written application. If you give me... She goes, your Shark Tank or your Kickstarter video um, explains everything that we would need for the video. So if you give me a verbal commitment, I can can submit your video application right now. You'll be the very first one. So I was like, well, it's probably not going to get much better than that.
1: Yeah, might as well, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So by the time we got... Go from all the trade shows in about roughly 10 months we had about $400,000 in sales to rewind a year before that i just came home from a deployment and we just were our first order of grip mats was coming in from the factory and they asked me to be a part of the, of the show and um, so like a, a scout reached out to me mm-hmm. and we had no sales. And I was like, I don't want to be that guy on the show yeah. that has no sales. So I, I said no to them. And I, I was always like wondering if that was the right decision. And then fast forward to now, I was, was able to apply again. And um, yeah, turns out it was the right decision.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It was, it was the right decision. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. So when you, real quick, when you, when you apply, there's roughly like sixty thousand people that apply and mm-hmm. then the top like 1 per or 1000 will get their own producer so you'll get an email every once in a while like hey you made it to the second round you made it to the top 10,000 you made it to this mm-hmm. stage and then when you get the top 1000 that's when you get your own producer and they're trying to whittle it down to about 150 to 100. so they'll they'll film about 150 then 120 will actually like air mm-hmm. so you can okay. film get a feel and everything and still not air so mm-hmm. and i know people that that's happened to i'm like man that would that would be a nightmare but uh so really persistent on like the shark tank what they want is the shark tank group what they really want is a good story that's going to inspire people so mm-hmm. if you, you know have that story you know that what i kept pushing was the whole military side veteran and and that's without that i, I don't know the same playing field um, mm-hmm
1: yeah yeah it's it's hard to know. You know story story is an intriguing thing, right? because story story can lead you lots of places, but it can also be really distracting if you're not careful. I want to spend the rest of our time digging in a little bit around two two pieces that I think are probably fairly tangible as they relate to sort of the the what or how as folks move into innovation and innovative thinking. Um, and entrepreneurship so, so the first one is that you, know, you already mentioned that um, your your journey as a student um, wasn't that student that was out there that was seeking perfection and because of of that that you you allowed yourself the space to not be that student um, whether by design or otherwise you had a really different mindset but Did that mindset necessarily fit well within school? And the reason I'm asking the question is, I really sort of want to get at sort of the what prepared you to be successful in this journey versus the the spaces or the gaps that if you could go back and redesign that K-12 system to have prepared you or prepared you differently, you know... It's that stuff right now, especially with given what's happening in the world that everybody is wrestling with. What's the next iteration going to look like? And I think that it's really critically important that we tap into real people with real success and innovative stories to say, what was the magic and how could we translate that magic into an experience that's equitable? across the sort of K-12 spectrum. And I know that's a really deep question, Tom, but but you know, having yeah. had you in our space and watching you interact with kids, and in particular, the things that you tell kids, I'm thinking about the lemonade stand. I don't know if you remember this or not. But <laughs> for, for months, those kids would come back and talk to me about the things you said to them when they were trying to convince you to buy their lemonade, right? And so they got a huge amount out of that experience. And, and in the moment, you may not have even realized it was happening or that it would be so lasting, but yeah. the reality of it was that that was probably more meaningful than most of what they did the nine months prior to in school. so my yeah, question is yeah. why
0: I think something that was beneficial for me was that i didn't have the expectation to be the the ex i didn't have an expectation for the outcome so someone who who actually like lives in Columbus, ohio i went to grew up with high school and everything, and um he is like. He, my entire life, I felt like I was here and he was he was here. Sports, education, and everything, and and you know he has a very like a very good job. But what I what I'm seeing is like is that he won't he could do much more, but he has the expectation of like getting the success the very first time. So my expectation of me going out and doing something, my expectation is that I'll probably have to try harder and more times to get the average. So if I want to get as high as, as he would get, I know I'm probably going to study way more and try way harder just to get the same thing. So the, the problem is like when he goes out to do something outside of his like norm, is that if he doesn't get that A plus the very first time, he's out. And he he can't. So it's very Difficult for him to explore in new avenues because it has to be perfect the very first time if he were to ever do a Kickstarter and like not get as much as not raise one hundred and thirteen thousand like I did, he would look at it as like a failure so the the thing is it's like like yeah, I did one Kickstarter and it was successful, but i've been I was working on it for for years at that point, so a lot of people f- would would think like i the very first week I do a Kickstarter and it's as successful as Tom's, where like what they don't really see is that you know I was operating at like a c plus level the entire time of like trying things it's not working, just keep so so I guess like the point of like failure, I was looking at it more of like a testing or like a learning phase where a lot of people take that super personal super super close to heart of like the, the failure point. So I think that is kind of why that I was I was able to make things work was was not being so attached to the testing phase and how the testing phase went where a lot of people are attached to like didn't work out I failed I'm you know mm-hmm. I got an F I'm, I'm out I'm done. So you, you
1: have persistence though but that was a piece that you embraced that your friend doesn't necessarily have that mindset of being serially persistent. Maybe that's one, one way yeah. to think about it, right?
0: Right, right. Which, which it's crazy because if he would have like a inch more persistence, he could he would be exponentially growth, mm-hmm. you know, very rapid, but because he learns and adapts so fast, but he's only willing to give it one try before he needs to redo it. I think like another another important piece was in, in high school I, I was in a vocational school. And I, it was called TriStar and I learned machine trades and I went on to learning CAD where the, the machine trades, Mr. Maker was the teacher. He, he, I mean, he did have a point of like, here's a bunch of projects we had to make. Mm-hmm. And I honestly don't even know remember my grade. I think it was an A, but he, he was very like, just wanted to see progress. And it was, it was more on like the personality of the student. It wasn't like, you make this block out of steel and have a, have all these holes and like you wouldn't like measure them and check for accuracy. It was kind of like an overall like grade on like personality and like productivity. So I, I think that that class really did help with like, like not really focused on like the results but focused on like on like how to create things. You know, it was I picking up how to. use... Use a, use a mill, use, you know, a drill press? Was I, you know, using it properly? Was I, you know, how was I working with other students? So that was, uh, I think that was pretty important to like, you know, not so much like, oh, this hole is drilled like 10,000s 10, 10, of an inch too far, mm-hmm. therefore, you know, you get docked. So I, I think, you know, I feel like the current school system is the way it is to basically um, streamline it or mass-produce it um, and it's more difficult to take every child by case by case and like see how they're learning but mm-hmm. um, I do see you know obviously the past foundation is like recognizing the the issues and, and really taking the bull by the horns of like how to how to properly do it but uh, yeah I think I, does that answer your question it, uh,
1: it does. I mean, I think that because we we do we wrestle with this all the time. And and like I said, you know, earlier, when I think about what does that next sort of iteration look like, it's really that sort of that combination of of taking the the pieces and components that are that are now right. You know, mass education is streamlined in part to get more folks through it. You know, at the end of the day, it's trying to be to meet all the needs and to be equitable. But the reality of it is. That's not necessarily what we need anymore. There was a time and a place for it, right? And and that system functioned as designed for, for a very long time. But that's not the world we live in anymore. And I think that's sort of partially part of the dig, which is one of the reasons I sort of kind of wanted to dig into it. Because I do think there's something to be said for thinking about individualized learners, helping them find their space and their strength, um, helping them understand the difference between talent and skill and superpower, right? Or whatever terms that you want to apply to those. So, so I do think that's really important. I, I want to close our program today talking about sort of a, another piece that we haven't touched on yet, but I know from conversations with you that was was a piece of this and certainly... My sense is, you know, watching you with the kids at, at past that whether you realize that you do this or not, I think that my guess is it's it's an experience that's ingrained in you because you you had great mentors along the way, right? And that's one of the other pieces that I feel like is often missing is that we forget that to teach and teach well is really to mentor right you know and that's a very very different way to think about how and why i do my job so you know i i i suspect um that you know having great mentors along the way made a difference or at the very least your your interest in thinking about the educational system and in the role, what you the touch points that you have um, here, or there, that that's meaningful because, again, you know the experience that you know as I've watched you with kids, they walk away and they're wowed, and not because of the story and not because of the fact you stick the grip mat to stools and you hold them up as high as your head, right? I mean, they love that, but that's not the reason why. They they remember it because of the conversations. That you have with them specifically about the things that they're working on. And that's mentorship. Yeah. So there has to have been some really key mentors along the way. Or, or I guess maybe the flip side of my question is: you know, I always like to sort of close the program with, with thinking about what, what's the that piece of sage moment that you sort of want to share with the world about your journey or the thing that you've learned or the thing that you wish you had known. You know, as folks are sitting back saying, "Oh my gosh, you know, I could be like that guy Tom. Um, I could transform my my classroom, and I could produce a thousand young Toms." Or, you know, I could be, you know, that uh, the entrepreneur in my entrepreneur in my own basement, and I have got this great idea, but I've never had the courage to try.
0: Yeah, I, I would say definitely like my ground, like the foundation mentor, I, I would say would be my dad. So him doing he on on the side he would do general construction and he would have me working with him a lot and what i didn't know at the time at the time i'm like i got to like work i got to work with dad <laughs> i got to work with dad but i was like constantly like getting experience of like hands on experience of of how to um, work with tools work with you know building things and really I mean, there wasn't like a A plus system there. It was like, it was like kind of, all right, that's good enough. <laughs> or yeah, that looks good. Just like getting like a pass fail or approval from dad, like, all right, cool, we're we're moving on. Definitely being hands-on and like working with him gave me a lot of experience. Like one thing he would always say was, is uh sometimes my sister would babysit and there'd be like kids out there. And we whenever we would pour concrete, he would say something like. You know, pouring concrete, this is something that your teachers at school haven't, haven't ever done. Most of them have never poured concrete. And like, as a kid, you're like, whoa. Like, because you, you like, look up to this like, person who's your teacher and you've done something that they most likely don't have an idea about. So that was like really empowering as a, as a kid. We would do sm- snow removal and he, he's got a skid loader and I'd be like, you know, really young driving a skid loader. I mean, when I first started, I would just be like sitting on his lap, like playing with the control. So that was kind of getting that different mindset.
1: You know, I part of it was was having the courage to try new things, right? And and I see those things coming hand in hand. You know, part part of sort of shifting from a very traditional, very rote, very memorization sort of based approach to one that allows you to tinker in real time as you learn. And maybe at the end of the day that's kind of what I'm getting at is you know that hands-on, that very applied opportunity brings out all kinds of confidence. And folks, right? Because you know, I I talk to lots of entrepreneurs, um, you know, on this show or in the work that that I do, and and the thing that is I would say is consistent amongst you all, and I, I I put you in that boat, right? Is that you somewhere along the way you had the courage to try?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think like one a big part of my life was was working with or playing with Legos as a kid, so that really gave me like strong 3d imagery skills mm-hmm. and like how to create things and then working with my dad gave me like realistic of like if i can visualize something how do you actually like put it together and yeah legos i mean the point of legos you're looking through the legos i mean you can follow the directions and build whatever they want you to create and then you know i would that really exercise like me understanding legos and how to like things fit together and then got to the point with specifically mindstorm Legos of like building different robots. What I would do was <laughs> i would I would take the like directions of like how to build different things, so the mindstorm Legos there's a bunch of different things that you can make, and um I would just there's instructions on how to like build certain parts like this is with treads, this is with wheels, this is you know a touch sensor or whatever, and I would like. When I would be with my mom, like in the car, I would just look at them and I would think of how they could fit together, and I would think of um, how I would want to make different things, like something that would be able to like drive around, throw a ball, and pick it up and throw it again, or or and I think the learning I was gaining from Legos it wasn't so much like a pass fail; it was just like I was turning into like the. The testing phase into like playing time, and that was, I think, and a muscle that I was I was like really exercising. I actually have a tattoo of Legos on my shoulder. <laughs>
1: oh, really? Oh, my! Yeah. <laughs> a yeah. true lover of Legos. There yeah. you go.
0: <laughs> and, uh, the yeah the but I, I think that's that was incremental into like one having my dad just kind of like looking out like pass, fail, like, that's good enough. That'll work. And also that combined with being that C average student, I, I think those were definitely hand in hand. I, I remember when I was in the second grade, I think I was supposed to go to summer school. So there was two two parts. Second grade, I was supposed to go to summer school and my dad was like, it's okay. I used to go to summer school all the time. I think I went every year as a kid. So that made me like, be okay with like, not getting the A+. And I remember specifically when I was in the first grade, Mrs. Whited, she, was, she said to the students something about like, how we did a bad job on our spelling tests. So one side of the paper was a spelling test and the other side was math. And she said there was only one person I got 100% and she pulled out the paper and it was my name. I was the only one I got 100%. But on the back, I saw that I got a 97% on the math. And I was like, it like shocked me. And I was like, I did something wrong on the back. So first grade, I had this like, I need to get everything right. And then second grade, when whatever reason why I was going to, to summer school, and my dad told me like, it's okay, that that really like, got me to not focus so much on like the results, but focus more on like the actual learning. I, I mean I didn't know I was actually focused on the learning, but me being okay with with not doing it perfect gave me other routes, like at that time playing with Legos of like none of the Legos have to be perfect. It's just like I would come up with a task for them to do as long as they completed the task, then then I was okay with with the with the outcome, or and, but in the process, I was learning so much about how to build things.
1: That's awesome. You you were you were learning to love learning, and at the end of the day, if we could get every kid to leave school loving learning, then we would be far and away in a different place than than we are currently. So that's that's absolutely awesome. Thank you so much Tom for joining us today, sharing your story, um, inspiring us all and making really really cool grip mats.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love the Pass Foundation. Thank you for everything that you guys do. I um, love welcome. being involved with you guys. I feel like I learn something every time new every time I go there. <laughs> and um, I'm I'm kind of like jealous of those kids of like man, I wish I had a Pass Foundation when I was growing up.
1: Yeah, it, it wasn't around when I was growing up either. And um, hence, that was the thing that we created, right? So I of uh, yeah. th- that kindred spirit. It wasn't around. So it was like, well, let's build this thing and let's see what will happen yeah. when we build this thing. So it's a good journey. You
0: are, yeah, yeah, you guys are making so much headway and it's, it's beautiful what you guys are doing.
1: Well, thank you so much. And thank you for joining us today.
0: Yeah, thank you so much. I'll see you.
1: Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.